Do you still have that that toothless photo of you in your Instagram? Bye. Now, Shaminda, Shaminda, you 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 need you need to explain you need to explain to the listeners exactly what happened because that that was when I put my body on the line for the benefit of you as a coach. <laughs> Welcome everyone. My name is Vida and this is Sri Lankan Cricket Podcast. This is a special interview episode and I'm joined by my co-host Sohan. How are you doing, Bora? Good, Vida. How are you? I'm good, Bora. Very excited about this uh, interview as we are approaching the start of a new cricket season in Victoria. Today we are delighted to welcome Russell Jarrett. I call him uh, Rusty J. Welcome to Sri Lankan Cricket Podcast, Russ. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, really good. Uh, I'm excited to have a chat to you boys. I've uh, I've heard about this Sri Lankan podcast, so uh, it's going to be a fun chat. I'm I'm excited, boys. Glad to have you with us, Russ. Um, I want to introduce Russ to our listeners first. Russell Jarrett is a veteran in the fitness industry. Um, his experience goes over 30 years, working across different roles. Um, he's been a coach, trainer, educator, and a business owner. He's had stints in the AFL, worked with Cricket Australia. in the WNBL any sport you name it Russ is across uh, i think he's had a stint with Australian women's team as well so he's the perfect person to touch base when it comes to the physical aspects of the game so pretty keen to explore ask uh, a few questions covering these areas as well and try to tap a bit into his knowledge absolutely boys i'm happy to uh happy to contribute wherever i can and um and talk about some of the things that i've done and and uh explore some of the the elements of physical preparation for cricket that'll be good tell us a little bit about your experience with Aussie women's cricket team russ yeah the, i keep telling people that was one of the best roles i've ever had in terms of what i do you know that that took me all over the world and i got to see some amazing places i got to visit you know um all sorts of amazing cricket grounds and because I'm a you know I'm a bit of a cricket tragic myself I've played a lot of cricket I've been around cricket for a long time it's been one of the sports that I grew up with um you know as a child cricket was my favorite sport um if I wasn't playing cricket then in the winter time it was probably football um or something else but in summer it was all about you know the outdoors and and playing cricket and being a part of that um So when I got that role with the women, you know, it was kind of like uh almost like your dream job, you know. I I'm a physical performance coach. I I make athletes work better, um train better, perform better, stronger, fitter, faster. That's what I do. But then I got to do it with, you know, the best lady cricketers in the country and I got to travel to England a number of times, India a number of times, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka a number of times. New Zealand all over Australia I think that pretty much was all of it I didn't get to go to South Africa unfortunately I was we didn't have a tour there but yeah mate you know traveling the world and and being a part of a great cricket team it can't get any better can yeah. it I was reading through and saw a quote I came across Elise Perry talks very highly of you she speaks about how Russ you've been part of the women's team uh, for 6 years and I think it's right to say that you were, would have been part of that early generation that set the tone for what 
they are JV now as a unit. And I think she touches off with a very important one. She says, um, Russ is a great guy who I now count as a lifelong friend. And I think that's a pretty impressive or love that quote, which was given by Ellis Perry. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, I was lucky in that respect. I, I traveled with, uh, I traveled with the girls for, as you, as you say, six years and, and we did a lot of great things together. We achieved a lot together and just to be on the sidelines and watching some of those athletes play cricket, you know, was amazing. I was, uh, I was at uh, the Wacker in WA when Meg Lanning made her debut, yeah. and um, oh, in her right. in her very yeah, amazing. In her very first ODI innings, she came out to bat on the wicker on on the Wacker. Sorry, on a great wicket. You know, she, she was twenty or thirty runs, and they and one of the bowlers bowled one on onto her pads, and she just flicked it over the top of uh, square leg for six. <laughs> and like we, we we all just sat there and looked and went, hang on a minute. You don't see that kind of stuff very often, you know. That's that's rare, and yeah. and look where she is now. You know, she's going to end up being probably the highest run scorer in the history of of cricket for Australian women. She'll probably end up holding the record. Yeah. I think she holds the record now for the most centuries by an Australian female. You know, she's going to she's going to be one of the greats of all time. And I was there to see her start. You know, I saw Elise Perry do amazing things. Uh, Alyssa Healy. Uh, Rachel Haynes and all of those girls. It's yeah. you know I was very I was very lucky to see that. You know you could just tell you could just tell that when I started I, I could just tell that this was something really special that was building. Yep. And yep. now they're you know they're they're I wouldn't say they're unbeatable but they're very hard to oh. beat. They're very hard to beat. Yeah. They have been dominating for the last three to four years. I mean, we had this discussion with Estelle when we had a chat with her last episode. And, you know, we talked a lot about Aussie women's cricket because they are setting that bar really high for women's cricket. And you must be a really happy man um, that you have contributed to, to their success, Russ. Yeah, it's nice to be a part of it. I was saying to someone the other day, I can remember when I was with the girls, we were playing against England. And England were over here. We were playing a game. It was just a one-day game, part of the series. And it was being played at the Junction Oval uh, in St Kilda. There would have been maybe 150 people watching the game live at the ground. And then two years ago, I was lucky enough to get tickets and go and watch them play against India in the final of the World Cup, the T20 World Cup. And and in that final, there was 85,000 people at the MCG. Amazing. How tough was it getting the girls into um, the fitness side of the game or for them to understand that aspects of it? Because it's more like a lifestyle now. But I think when you started, you might have had challenges yeah. getting, getting that around. Yeah, you're right. When I, when I first came on board, the, the story is very quickly, um, I was simply there to fill in a, a, a nine-week gap because they were short on staff. And yeah. they had a they had a, a World Cup uh, campaign in England, so it was a nine week tour, which was four weeks of one day, uh, sorry, T Twenty World Cup, right. and then and then a one week break, and then we then we went into a a, a home tour, uh, or sorry, an away tour against England, who were the home team. So it was a nine week tour, and they just needed someone for nine weeks. So I was having coffee with a friend who had worked with them, and they said, you know. They need someone. Would you be interested in doing just a short tour? And I said, absolutely. Like, you know, go to England for nine weeks and watch cricket. Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, why not? Yeah. And and I saw, you know, 
I was probably a little surprised at the lack of uh, physical preparation that I saw. And so at the back of that tour, Cricket Australia asked me to write a report and I was pretty um, honest and brutal. Um, And I thought, well, they're not probably going to like this because, you know, that's their best team. And I I think there's a a lot of work to be done. So I I wrote a report which was honest, but it was also uh, pretty, pretty brutal and and pretty, pretty truthful. Sounds like um, you, Russ. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, that's that's the only way I know how to do it. Uh, uh, You're right, Chaminda. But, you know, the funny thing was... um, it, it obviously resonated and, you know, Cricket Australia said, well, okay, if, if that's where you see the team, if we give you a role, what can you do with it? And I said, well, if I've got time and I've got resources and I've got buy-in, I can make a difference. And, um, and so over the next six years, we set our standards pretty high. We worked hard. We had uh, a great culture within the group and within the coaching, uh, within the coaches. So the, mm. everyone was accountable. Everyone was answerable. Everyone was on board. And six years later, you know, I left the group confident that physically they're in a much better position and at a much higher standard than, than when, when I inherited the group. But, you know, it's even better now because when I left, the people that have come after me have taken it to another level. And, and I yeah. think that's, I, I believe that one of the reasons that the Australian team dominates is because they're highly skilled, excellently coached and drilled. But I also mm. believe that fi- that physically they are superior to most teams in the world. No, no, yeah, absolutely right, Russ. I mean, you can see from the results for the past few years. We as Sri Lankans, we are used to having uh, Aussie trainers uh, in Sri Lanka. You know, we had Alex, Alex Contourias and uh, Jade Roberts. We had the flying physio. Tommy. Tommy, yeah. Tommy Zimsak, yeah. So we are used to having Aussie physios and... Be- just because they're good at their job and, you know, we have benefited from that as Sri Lankans. Um, I think that's a good segue to um, move on to what we are going to talk about today, which is importance of fitness, nutrition in cricket. Now we are approaching a cricket season here. So, I mean, how important it is to have a good preseason to perform at your best in the season, Russ? Yeah, look, it's you know we we know that we know that those things go hand in hand. It's been proven time and time again, and and anyone that has a good season of sport, whether it be football, whether it be cricket or anything else, if there's a physical demand to the execution of the skill, uh, for instance, fast bowlers, you know they are they are of the cricket team. They are the most physically well prepared generally because they have the highest workload. You know, most pace bowlers will tell you that their uh, in-season performance is directly related to their pre-season work and the, I guess, the um, success of their pre-season. If they can do, you know, good workloads over an extended period of time then it sets them up to perform the skill that they need to perform because at, at the elite level, at the first class level and at the test level, some of these pace bowlers can bowl, uh, what is it, something like um, you know 25 to 30 overs in a test yeah. at high speed. That's an enormous workload. Now, if you're playing a five test series, well, just you're not going to be able to withstand that, that punishment on your body. Now, that's at the elite level. However, mm. if we're talking about district uh, or Premier League or sub-district or club cricket or anything like that, you know, maybe we're not executing the skills to the same level as the elite, 
but we're still putting pressure and stress and workload through our body. So, mm. you know, I just see it as as still relevant, as still important. I've been um, I've been helping out one of the Premier League clubs over the last over the last eight weeks. Right. I've been uh, because they're in lockdown in Melbourne, and yeah, yeah. and they can't they can't do anything really. So twice a week I get online with um, with the Greenvale Kangaroo Premier team. And um, yeah. and I take them through physical work online because they've got to do something physically to to allow them to be ready to execute the skills when they get to, which is in a couple of weeks' time. Russ, with the um, you touch base perfectly. How you said that touching base with fast bowlers, making sure you keep that high intensity or going through that thirty overs. Something yep. like we've noticed on for a spinner, at least you are able to come back a lot more quicker because of course. We do the lazy stuff of not running as much as the fast bowlers, but through the various teams we played and had leadership roles in the teams, something we've noticed is when the game spread out, having to come back to that high intensity is where the players struggle or find it difficult. So, for example, if it's a fast bowler coming back into that third spell or mm. uh, the latter part of the spell, the body doesn't uh, cope with that. Especially in on. Sri Lanka, when it's yeah, when it's thirty-five degrees and ninety percent humidity. Yeah, and the batting as well, because you go through certain gears of the innings. Like you might start strong, but then you slow down, and then you got to finish off the innings at high intensity to score the targets you need. Do you consider that in how the players prepare for the season, or was is that given thought? Or yeah, yeah. Look, it, it is in the respect that. <clears throat> Okay, so the first thing that we, we always look at is, you know, what's the what's probably the worst case scenario or what's the highest load that we expect them to have to um, uh, complete? Okay, yeah. so, it, you know, in a test match, it's a little bit more open-ended because we don't really know. But yeah. at, least, at least in a one-day game or in a T20, you know, the workloads and the time, the time of work is much more – it's much more defined, especially yeah. bowlers, you know – they can only bowl 10 overs or they can only yeah. bowl four overs, right? Um, so it's a little easier. But having said that, a lot of the research will suggest and it's and it's um, or, or it shows that the intensity of uh, T20 cricket is the highest. So the intensity mm. is higher, but the yeah. volume is lower. Mm. Um, so high speed running, you know, high speed running and high velocity work is yeah. really important. So if I'm preparing a team for a T20, um, then I, I believe there's a lot more sprinting and change of direction um, and diving and that kind of stuff that needs to be executed hmm. because because it's it's a lot more athletic, it's a lot faster, and the intensity yeah. is a lot higher. Um, yeah. And the, and that trend continues with ODI cricket as well. Now with the with the test cricket, um, we know that they're going to have a high volume, but when they've finished their spell, so let's say a fast bowler bowls, I don't know, six overs in their spell. Um, you know, from, from the moment they finish to, the, to when they're next asked to bowl, it's a case of, well, how do we get this person to recover you know, if if the, if it's really hot and humid, as Chaminda pointed out, mm. then hydration is key. Um, yeah. We've got to keep them mobile. We've got to uh, replenish those energy stores. 
Um, we've got to make sure that uh, we're addressing any kind of niggles or soreness and mm. and just get them get them ready for that next spell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me, I know. <laughs> mm. I mean, mm. Bora, remember we used to getting to uh, ice bath every time we getting for a break when we were playing first class cricket in Sri Lanka. Lunch time, we just get into ice bath two to three minutes, then we do the same. Um, at the tea break yeah. i think um, if you talk about workloads injuries comes next isn't it i mean when you start playing too many games and uh, you tend to break down and coming out of an injury is always been a challenge because you don't know when to go full tilt so yeah. how do you find you know guiding someone to get back to playing uh, going through an injury yeah so that that is always going to be a a bit of a team effort you know I play a role in that, but so does the physio um, and mm. so does the athlete themselves, you know. So it's, it's, that, it's that group, it's that group um, discussion and group plan. So, you know, the athlete is always central so that they need to understand what's going on. So if, if, if you're coming off, let's say, a, a soft tissue, like a hamstring or something, you know, obviously there is a, a reasonably structured process to the rehabilitation phase um, and then there's the reintroduction to running and the reintroduction to strength work. And then later on, there'll be the reintroduction to bowling. And then we'll gradually increase the speed and the intensity and the volume and the number of balls bowled. Now, the question is, okay, how do we know if they're ready to play? That's yeah. always the question. You know, what, what is, what is, how do we accurately measure and predict return to, to or, or readiness for return to play. Now, generally speaking, uh, we're going to have a really good understanding of what their high-speed running velocities are, and we use we use GPS for that. So you know, we know that the fast bowlers, when they're at full um, at full workload, we know how much high-speed running they do per uh, per over, um, per five overs, per ten overs. We also know with GPS the impact and the ground reaction force. So when they come into bowl, we know how much force is going through that front landing leg. Yep. So we use that data uh, and we also know through tracking the, and of course this is all done at the elite level because we've got the resources and the people yep. and, the, and the instrumentation and the devices, but... You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we know that when uh, when an elite fast bowler is fully fit, you know, we know that they should be bowling x amount of deliveries every 7 days. Yep. When you if you're coming off a soft tissue, when you're bowling, you know, wh whether it's I don't know, let's let's say it's 150 deliveries, if you're bowling 150 deliveries at full pace every set, you know, in a 7-day block and you're not you're not sore, you're not pulling up poorly, we know that you're pretty much ready to return to play. Yeah, it's always a tough one. I mean, it's always been a tough one for me. I mean, you don't want to go too early. And as you said, now the game has evolved so much. You can monitor all this through technology. I mean, I think you were talking about that um, the triangle thing you wear. Um, Bora and I, are, we are keen investors and we looked into uh, investing in that company as well, Bora, I remember. Catapult. Yeah, yeah. Park, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cat, cat, Catapult, Catapult yeah. GPS, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. When I was with the women, <laughs> just as I finished, they start. They bought. They bought a whole set of GPS units specifically for the girls. Right. So when I was with them, we had to rely on um, 
on basically tracking deliveries. So we would literally we would literally plan and count deliveries bold uh, in training sessions and in games. And then we would put all that into an Excel spreadsheet and we'd make our calculations and figure out how many balls they bowled, where it's it's all done with GPS now. Love it. Like uh, my eyes lit up when you talk about stats and data. <laughs> I, I love that. It's I'm all over it. And I'll spend mo- the whole day in that. And exactly how you mentioned, you ma- monitor. I mean, it's a it's fascinating insight how you monitor. Like you shared a lovely example, how the fast bowlers at high um, intensity, the workloads they go through. I mean, through the running speed itself, I guess it indicates, hang on, something's right or wrong here. You know, if he's slowing down in his speed running speeds you might be able to alert okay some something's triggering some uh, issue for his performance you touch base the team uh, in one way you said physio trainer and the player gets involved at which stage would the coach you know the head coach or a bowling coach get involved in these data feeds or at yep. which stage does, does he come into play yeah yeah so so they they'll always they'll always have some form of um uh, they'll they'll be across that and they'll have some yeah. form of input in the initial stages of rehab in the initial stages of recovery you know there's nothing they can really do but it's it's when that it's when that pace bowler comes through that later stages when they start to bowl again that's yeah. when the the yeah. the head coach or the or the fast bowling coach starts to get involved again yeah. um mm. so you know if it's a hamstring soft tissue injury it might take um it might take six weeks to get the player back. Um, the first two weeks, the coaches don't really get involved. Probably yeah. from weeks three to four, they'll start to see where we're at. And yeah. then when the when that pace bowler starts to bowl, then the head coach and the bowling coach will become pretty heavily involved along with the physio, the doctor, and and the the strength and conditioning coach. There's so sometimes there's sometimes there's too many opinions, huh? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, exactly well, right. it's been interesting. You know, um, management management of fast bowling is pretty good these days, but it went through a period, I think, a few years ago where we probably put too much emphasis and too much power into the hands of the coach. Uh, sorry, not the coach, the strength and conditioning coach and the physio, right. and and we needed we needed to give more input to the player themselves because yep. um, you know. Pace bowlers, they know how their bodies feel. And so uh, mm. most pace most pace bowlers like to bowl, you know, a lot of deliveries to feel good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. With the uh, players coming through, we talk about the bowlers. Batsmen, do they, would they do anything slightly different? We hear, we see batsmen having to be more agile, speed. I think strength and condition comes now with T20. In Sri Lanka, something we'd like to know, because we are more used to the running aspect. So we get monitored on how our running, like we get measured on the running aspect. For example, mm. we've all done the beep test. We've done the yo-yo test. Are there any measurements when it comes to the strength aspect? Or is that like... Yeah, um, yeah. So so we used, to, we used to strength test all of our players, you know, pace yeah. bowlers, um, spinners, batters, everyone. Everyone was strength yeah. tested. Everyone was fitness tested. Everyone was power tested. 
Um, but yeah. we just used to we used to just have different benchmarks for different yeah. players oh, and what yeah. their roles were. But certainly batters, you know, um, they need to be strong because they need to they need to put power behind mm. their shot. Um, yes. It's it, it, especially in the short form of the game. You've got to clear the rope. You have to clear the rope. So, mm. uh, you know, in one day cricket and in T Twenty cricket, if you're a, if you're a batter, even down to number eight or number nine, you, yeah. you have to be able to clear the rope. And I think that you know, to to go back to what I said earlier, I can remember uh, our head coach. Uh, this would have been around around two thousand and fourteen, fifteen. Uh, yeah. 16, around that era when Meg Lanning started to become, you know, world recognised um, and Alyssa Healy started to become a, a critical element of the team, you know, our head coach said, we, we just have to get stronger because we have the ability, you girls have the shots to yeah. clear the rope, but you don't yet have the power have to the do power, so. Yeah. And also what they identified, this is really interesting because it shows you the evolution of the women's game. No one in, in women's cricket was able to hit a six uh, yeah. not over cover, right? Yeah. Or, or, you know, or, or down mid-off, mid-off, you know, straight. Yeah. It's always been the cold corner, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. always cow corner. It was always you know, the mid-wicket cow corner mm. shot or or the the shot, the pull shot, you know, that just gets nailed. But Meg Lanning and Alyssa Healy and players like that, they were the first women to, to, to be able to hit a six over cover. Right, yeah. And, and, and over mid-off. So, you know, and that, that's, when, that's when they changed the game because previously, if you were playing women's cricket, and you wanted to dr- you wanted to stop players clearing the rope. Well, you would bowl outside off stump, and you would set a deep cover and a deep mid yeah. off, and then they would they would just hit one. Try the runs, just yeah, hit- yeah. And and Meg Lanning and Alyssa were the first ones. You'd put a fielder back, and they'd go, "I don't care. I'm going straight over their head anyway." You know. And when they started to do that, other countries had to then raise their standard. Yeah. And now. There's a lot of women in world cricket that can hit a six mm. on the offside. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of uh, 100 meters. I mean, for a long time, no one could run it less than 10 seconds. And one person did it, then that record has freshened like every other month after that. So it's a confidence thing as well, isn't it? When you see Absolutely. someone do it, you go and try it and uh, you raise that bar high. Russ, when you touch base, I think from the one thing we've uh, discuss and we've come to terms is the enjoyment uh, of the sport and mm-hmm. strength and conditioning, running, fitness. Back in our day, we, I mean, it wasn't enjoyable, right? Mm-hmm. It, at a stage, it's like, oh, here we go, we've got to run, yeah. you know, X yep. amount of days. End of the session, you can hardly walk back to your car. But um, <laughs> I've noticed you touch base about the enjoyment as well. I think it would have changed over time as well. This is me talking back in 2000, like you said, 2004 is uh, 2014 when things changed, but we were running in Sri Lanka back in from the early 2000s with her. And it was, yeah. you know, a more a military style of yeah. Uh, yeah. workouts to, you know, was that an intentional thing to bring the enjoyment aspect? Is that your style of uh, training, Jared, or is that? Yeah, 
Yeah, look, um, yes and no. I mean, okay, so so you know, there's only there's only a certain way that you can you can program these things and that you can yep. organize these things. So otherwise, if you try and um, disguise them or if you try and manipulate them too much, then they become almost non-effective. Mm. Uh, so so there is there is an element that you know there. There are there are certain exercises, there are certain activities, there are certain amounts of running that will never they'll never be easy and they'll never be fun. But that's just the way it is at that level. Um, yeah. And and players you know players can come to terms with that. I guess for me, what I what I delivered to the women's team was was a way of training them hard but also showing them that, that there is reward and satisfaction in hard work. So sometimes, we, you know, we used to do some really solid work, some really tough sessions, yeah. and it wasn't fun and it wasn't easy and it was painful. But I think what we did was as a group, we, you know, we embraced, uh, we embraced that and we decided that, you know, that's what would eventually make us better and, and that's what, would lead us to become a dominant team. So the enjoyment for them was knowing that if I do this work and I prepare to my absolute best, then success and enjoyment and fun and reward will come. And that's, you know, that's what happened. So even during the hardest sessions, uh, there was a determination to, to embrace it because they knew that, that rewards would come, if that makes sense. No, I think spot on. Like now looking back, it's exactly right. When you have the success, you kind of have that enjoyment knowing, all right, all that hard effort we did was worth it. You know, it, it wasn't yep. yeah, pretty at that time, but it's like, okay, I can walk through the sessions that I'm getting mm. tested through in competition because I've done the hard work. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, no one... Um, you know, no one, no one likes to be in pain, but yeah. but everyone likes to be a winner. So mm. you kind of have to make the decision as to which you're gonna, which road you're gonna take. I think one reason we didn't enjoy it because in Sri Lanka there's hardly a preseason rush because we play yeah. cricket throughout the year. So yeah. sometimes when you get selected to a squad or something, they'll do these fitness routines while you're playing games and it's not the, you know, it's not enjoyable and, you know, it, it's too much on your bodies. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we're a little bit different, aren't we here in Australia where mm. we have, we have definite periods or definite seasons yep. and, and definite, you know, in season and definite off season where you can rest and recover. But you're right. I guess in, in different countries where the weather patterns are different, I, I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm assuming, you know, do you have an off season in Sri Lanka? Maybe uh, maybe a month. <laughs> really? Yeah, because in Sri Lanka, we play the domestic club season, which takes about six months of your year. And then we've got a strong mercantile cricket uh, competition, which is uh, the corporates play teams. Yeah, um, And then in between, you have the touring A teams or travel between the squads that happen. So that kind of books out your year in terms of cricket. Touching base with the long season, any advice for a player how 
to manage like free advice for a Sri Lankan player playing a year full of cricket? That's a good question. I'd never really, I'd never really considered that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, your your climate and your weather conditions are different, so therefore you don't really have a, a defined, you know, non non playing time. Mm, yeah. I guess what it comes down to is is then um, it's a bit like a professional tennis player, right? Professional tennis players and professional golfers. They follow the season. They never really have an off season. So when I've worked with golfers and tennis players, basically it comes down to managing your workloads and your training intensity to marry up with when you've got periods of really important competition or periods right. of really you know less important or minor. So if your if your competition is not that important then that would be the time when I would be doing as much physical work as possible. Because if you go into a game and you're a little bit tired or a little bit sore, it doesn't really matter so much. Um, But if you're about to go into uh, a period of very important competition or, or selection, then you've got to make sure that you're fit, but fresh and ready to play. No, when you say um, fresh, like we feel after games play and the next day your body. So am I right to say it's the time that you get back to feeling, fre- like you say, fresh or feeling back to normal movement? That's the recovery period that we talk about for players? Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, recovery is a, it, it's an area that there is um, always going to be confusion about because people recover at different paces and some people are a little bit more resilient than others. Um, but but we do we do know that if you're in good physical shape, if you're fit and you're strong and you're lean and not carrying um, too much body fat, generally speaking, that's going to give you an advantage and your recovery ability is going to be um, better as well as hydration, nutrition, and sleep. They're the big three. Hydration, nutrition, and sleep. You know, you can't um, you can't cheat that. You've got to execute that. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. But generally speaking, the fitter you are, the healthier you are, the better you will recover. And so it, it comes back to doing the work when you can. You know, doing the preseason and, and the preparation and the physical work when you can. And then when it comes to competition, well, it's uh, you know, it's compete and recover. And repeat, you know, mm. compete, recover, repeat. Um, <laughs> and some some people some people can back up really well, and some people struggle. Uh, Elise Perry used to always back up pretty well. She was strong, she was fit, she was diligent, and then other players would get you know quite sore because perhaps they didn't have the same physical capacities that she did. We covered a lot here i mean we can go on for a day uh, there's a lot to talk about but uh, russ has limited time with us we have a wide range of listeners from professional cricketers to softball cricketers and i'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this episode is there anything else you want to add into that russ um, I think I think probably the thing that that I've noticed, um, guys, is that the sport of cricket has come a long way in the last probably ten years, maybe fifteen years, but certainly the last ten. Mm. In terms of physical preparation, cricketers are so much better than they used to be. Um, yeah. Now, you know, there's a lot more cricket played around the world, 
the the the, the scheduling for professional cricket is crazy. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, if you're if you're a professional cricketer in Australia, you've got uh, Sheffield Shield, you've got um, the one day competition. Um, if you're good enough, uh, you might get picked to play for Australia one day or Australia test. And then there's IPL. And then if you're not doing IPL, maybe you're doing um, the Pakistan Premier League. There's the mm. West Indies. Uh, what's the West Indies one? CPL. Be a uh, Premier League. C- thank you. CPL. Yeah. That's right. There's you a know, lot of so- cricket going around. Like every country yeah. has a domestic T20. So. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So I think because of all of these competitions, there is an increased opportunity for talented cricketers to earn a lot of money a lot for a lot longer than perhaps there used to be. So the career, yeah. I think, you know, the career of a professional cricketer, if they, if they start playing professionally at, say, 20, if they keep themselves fit and healthy, especially as a batter, yeah. you know, they can they can participate until their mid-30s, maybe a little older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? So that's 15 years of earning money and, and it's good money at the professional level. So there's a there's a lot more incentive, isn't there? And a lot more opportunity for players to stay fit and strong and and ready to to um to play. Uh, for a long period of time. So, you know, that's that's forced. And also, too, they're getting paid a lot more than they used to. Hmm. So there is that responsibility and accountability on players to, to turn up to their franchise in shape. You've got to turn up in shape. There's you know, a you can't... Upside, like you mentioned, with, I mean, 15 years of cricket as a professional athlete, you've got, you know, if you do it well, it sets you up. I mean... 15 years and then you're pretty much at retirement. Not many have that luxury of retiring while you're in before 40. So a lot of the players have to, I mean, we touch the coverage comes into the fitness and how a massive impact it is. We've seen in uh, the soccer teams going around, they do a lot of medicals to check up on the players' fitness to see if they are the they get the value for the investment they're mm. doing on the player. Yep. I think that's that shift we are seeing now gradually into cricket yeah. uh, coming through. How does uh, a player, I think uh, just to wrap it up, I'd like um, uh, a bit of and your advice to an upcoming player who's, who wants to you know, settle into the professional system. How, what would you give him, give a bit of advice for him so he's better equipped? Going into a season to, or to to play professionally, yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, I think that probably the element that has been neglected, but certainly is much better understood uh, today, is is to be strong. You know, um, you know, cricketers understand the importance of being fit and having aerobic fitness, but you know, being strong and and um, being well well trained in that aspect generally means that their power is going to be higher um, but also to their resilience to injury is going to going to be better so strength training has come a long way especially for pace bowlers but increasingly so for batters because 
you know, if you've got skills and you can clear the rope and you can play a lot of one-day cricket, a lot of T20 cricket, um, there's a lot of money to be made, isn't there? You know, people like mm. McCullum and Chris Lynn and um, power power hitters like that, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're going to make a lot of money for a long period of time. Oh. So that would be that would be my advice if you, you know, for professional cricketers, their body is their, uh, their income. So if, <laughs> if you're not fit, if you're not fit, you're not on the field. If you're not on the field, mm. you're not making money. Yeah, As simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this has been really great. We are going to consider you as a friend of the podcast. We would love you to come back again. I mean, if our listeners... Got more, uh, more subjects to cover us. We're just getting excited. And yeah, no, that's okay. We, absolutely. We, hey, boy, we, we, can always do, we can always do more episodes, boys. That's the beauty of uh, Zoom, isn't it? And podcasts, you can always catch up and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if our listeners want to interact with you, where can they find you, Russ? Yeah, the best the best w- uh, way to interact is um, just go to my website, which is uh, russelljarrett.com.au. I've got an Instagram page as well, um, which is russell underscore Jarrett one. But yeah, yeah, just go to the website. You can you can um, find my email there, and you can send me an email if you need anything. I'm happy to help. Yeah, we'll we'll add all those links uh, in the show notes. Do you still have that, that toothless photo of you in your Instagram? Right? <laughs> now, Chaminda, Chaminda, you, 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 need, you need to explain, you need to explain to the listeners exactly what happened because that, that was when I put my body on the line for the benefit of you as a coach. <laughs> Well, this um, this was uh, when I joined uh, Shepherd and Youth Cricket Club, Bora. Yeah. yeah, and this was I think this was that was our first training session or maybe the second one. So yeah. Russ said, "Oh, I'll, I'll grab the guys and we'll we'll do a quick warm up." And he was he had this mitt on his hand, and this yeah. was indoors. This was uh, in July, I think. So we couldn't train outdoors, and we, he, they did some running and stuff. Then Russ got the boys to uh, line up. And he's yeah. rolling the balls, and uh, they were meant to underarm the ball back to him. One guy yeah. he just went full on, yeah. or Russ missed it <laughs> right on the face. I can see, I can hear him um, <laughs> saying some bad words, and he rushed out of the center. And that's how oh. that uh, photo came about. I mean, you still uh, you got your teeth. Uh, intact now so you look good <laughs> yeah <laughs> no no that that you're exactly right that's what happened i mean um i was doing a warm-up drill i asked them to under ball underarm the ball you know re reasonably quickly but into the mitt and, <laughs> and and one guy just just threw the ball so hard and i had no time no time to react <laughs> so the ball just went bang and literally snapped snapped my front tooth Halfway up, uh, I'm just as we speak, Chaminda. I'm just trying to. I don't know whether I've still got the photo in my Instagram. If I do, if I do, I'll send it to you, and you can yeah. use it in your in your promo for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we will, we will. <laughs> I mean, we've all been through a very uh, how do you say a preseason mishap of new players coming through who don't understand. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. It's 
uh, we've learned it through experience now. You're like, oh, hang on, just want to know who the players are involved in this preseason. Um, if it's a new guy, you just want to sit back, see how he's going before you settle in. Uh, oh, um, man. Oh, I mean, uh, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it because uh, the pain was intense and, um, <laughs> and there was blood everywhere. <laughs> funny funny anyway. thing is he rushed out and he got some eyes and he came back. Have you guys seen the part of my tooth? And he's looking. For the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, well, I found, I, I, found, I found the bottom half. It was still on the ground. No one had picked it up. I don't think anyone wanted to go near it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, got into, I got in to see a dentist uh, a couple of days later. That, that happened on a Friday night, Chaminda. I think so, yeah. Um, it did, and uh, and I didn't get to the dentist until Monday, oh. so I had to spend the whole weekend oh. with half a tooth. Oh. Oh. Funny times, funny times. <laughs> it's all before it's all for the we, love of the um, game. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Before we wrap up for the day, I think we have Katie Russ has a um, few commitments that he needs to rush out to. Ashes predictions, Russ. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I that's tough because, well, because it just, I was, what dawned on me the other day was, um, well, you'd all, you know what, you'd always probably back Australia to, to do well at home because the yeah. conditions obviously yeah. suit us like they suit England. But Australia has not played hardly any test cricket in the last two years. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a fair. That's I, I, I don't, I don't think they've played Test cricket for what nearly twelve months. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, last series was against India, wasn't it? I, I think so. Them. Yeah, because yeah, the South African tour was, I think, cancelled. I think they yeah. pulled out. Yes. Of it. So, yes. Yeah, you're right. Mm. So they they have not played any Test cricket. England played Test cricket against India only a few months ago. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they've had more test cricket, even though they're coming to Australia. I think Australia is going to be very much underprepared. Hmm. Um, plus a lot of the shield players, a lot of the test players at the moment playing shield cricket are stuck uh, in their own state. So, so Victoria yeah. and New South Wales can only play in New South Wales or Victoria. Yeah. So, these these test players are not playing in Brisbane. They're not playing in South Australia. Mm. They're not seeing different conditions. So I tell you what, if there's a time for England to upset Australia and win away, this is their opportunity. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. Don't don't be surprised if it's like a you know a two all a two all draw, which means Australia retains the Ashes, but it's going to be a tough series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a fair assessment. My prediction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, let's do this again. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. I think that's a good place to wrap up. I mean, if you like to give us feedback, uh, send it to our email, Sri Lankan Cricket Podcast at gmail.com and find us in our socials. And we'll leave all the links in the show notes. We'll add the uh, Russ Instagram as well that you can go and check his photos there. Thanks for joining us today, Russ. It was a pleasure. No problem. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for coming on board. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, hope to see you in another episode and touch base more about the topic we love, cricket. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.